Hey, my name is Jason, and I'm the pastor here at Hope City Church, and we're just really glad that you're here today. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we're really glad that you're here. It's an honor that you would be with us, and I know it's already been a good day, but man, just, uh, just going to be a great day with us together uh, here at church. In psychology, there is a phenomenon called the sleeper effect. And the sleeper effect is when a message is initially discounted but indirectly becomes more persuasive over time, okay? That was really just a fancy way of describing something that really is a lingering effect. Let me explain it like this, that when your brain sees a message or is marketed to or you know, sees a commercial, it initially spikes with interest. That's just the way that your brain is wired. And whatever you're seeing uh, if it is persuasive, you become kind of convinced or begin to think that that product is better or that candidate is better or, or that message is better, whatever it is. It's just the way that your brain works. And so marketers will spend billions of dollars sending the same message to you over and over again to reinforce these ideas, these products, these theories, these messages in your mind. That's a typical way that people and companies market to you. But the sleeper effect uh, is the exact opposite. And it has been baffling marketers for years because they, it, it's so different and so backwards, but it is so powerful. And they've always wanted to figure it out so that they could use it. The sleeper effect in, in its simplest form is, is a persuasive message becoming more convincing over time. Initially, you don't believe it, you push it away, but over time, you become more and more convinced. And just so you know, this is why political candidates uh, spend so much money on negative advertising, because they know that initially, you don't believe the message or you push away from the message because it's political season or you know that it was uh, sponsored by the candidate, but science has proven, studies have proven that over time, you become more and more convinced of the negative news that was in the ad, and eventually it affects the way that you vote. Another example is the sleeper effect is the reason that dads who swear they're never gonna drive a minivan, come on, how many minivan dads do we have in the room today? Come on, dads, minivan dads. I love it, we, we got one. Uh, but, but it's why the sleeper effect is why dads who swear they'll never drive a minivan and initially discount the idea, become convinced over time, and end up driving around that sweet, uh, that sweet minivan. It's the sleeper effect. And in order for the sleeper effect to work, you have to have three components. Three components. Number one, you have to have a persuasive idea. It doesn't work if the initial idea isn't actually persuasive. But number two, you have to have a reason to initially discount or discredit or doubt the idea. And then number three, you have to have time. A persuasive idea, a reason to initially discount or discredit the idea, and then, and then time. And those three components of the sleeper effect is the perfect setup for the message today as we finish this last week of our series, How to Hear God's Voice. Since the beginning of the year, we have been looking to the Bible to find stories and examples and teachings that can help us to be more confident in hearing God's voice because God is speaking to us. God is speaking to you 
and he's speaking to me. And I don't know how that makes you feel, and I'm not sure, you know, how convinced you are of that statement, but you need to be. Because no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, or what you're feeling at this moment, you need to know that your, your heavenly father, God who created you, is constantly trying to speak to you. The challenge is that you're probably not going to hear him in an audible way. In other words, you're probably not going to hear God speak to you like I'm speaking to you right now. He can, he does, he did it in the Bible a lot, but, but that's not a, a normal way necessarily that God speaks to you and me. He's probably going to speak to you in some other ways, and that's what this series has been about. This series has been about six ways that God speaks to you and me besides his audible voice. And we've already looked at five of those. Let me just kind of give those to you, recap those for you. But the first week we talked about the Bible, how the Bible is the most consistent, reliable way to hear God's voice. And we'll, we'll talk about that actually a little bit more in, in, later in this message. Uh, but the second week, Pastor John talked about desires, did a fantastic job just talking about how the things that we want, the desires in our heart, our dreams and our passions and our heart are put there by God, and that's one of the ways that he speaks to us. The third week, we talked about people, how God uses people to speak to us, but he also uses us, and he speaks through us to, to other people. And then uh, the fourth week, we talked about doors and signs. If you're one of those people who's always looking for a sign, that's a great message for you to go back and find in the app and, and listen to that, but that God speaks to us through open and closed doors and and signs of things that are happening in our life. And then last week, we talked about pain, that, that God speaks to you and me through our pain, and, and we wish it wasn't the case, but C.S. Lewis said that God, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. And so we talked about that pain, and those were the five weeks leading up to this week as we close out this series and today, we are going to talk about how God speaks to you and me through promptings. Everybody say promptings. Promptings are, are a feeling. Promptings are, are a thought. They, they, they can show up anytime, anywhere. They can show up in the middle of a conversation, in the middle of the night. They can show up driving down the road or standing in the shower or in the middle of worship or in the middle of a of a church service, God prompts us, God speaks to us. And just so you know, of, of all the weeks to teach on this, this is probably the hardest topic to pin down because uh, it's more uh, of an art than it is a science. But God speaks to us through, through, through feelings, through ideas, through, through nudges, through, through compelling us and prompting us and it always is leading us to action, that God speaks to us to say something or to do something or to give something or to pray something, and we feel compelled by God. That is, that is prompting. And when people who experience promptings from God and feel like God speaks to them through promptings, whenever they tell their story or their experience in, in past tense and hindsight, it usually sounds something like, I just felt like God wanted me to go and talk to that person in my office, or I saw my neighbor taking their trash out, and I just felt like God was saying to me, you need to go talk to them, or I felt like there was a time when I was supposed to give a certain amount of money or give something that I own uh, away to somebody else. That's happened to Andrea and I 
several times. That, that it always is this feeling or this idea or this nudging or this prompting to do, to do something. It always leads us to action. And that is one of the reasons why we struggle to be confident in the area of promptings. I mean, it's one thing for God to speak to us and to write it in our journal, you know, or to, or to feel like he's speaking to us as we're praying, as we put in a job application. It's a whole nother thing to feel like God is speaking to you and me and the end result is us going and doing something about that, involving somebody else. It brings in some insecurity and, and can cause us to, to doubt and, and to worry and to, and to really be scared to do what it is that God is, um, is prompting us to do. And we begin to think these questions and these thoughts, well, what if I'm wrong? What, what if... What if I make a fool of myself? Here's the big question. What if it's not God? And we'll talk about that in a little bit. We're gonna talk about all of that today. But there's a story in the Bible that is perfect for, for us to, to learn from. It is in the book of 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. There are two books titled Samuel. This is 1 Samuel. And in this story, it involves uh, two, two people. One guy is named Eli, and he is the prophet for, for the nation. If you're not familiar with that, you can just kind of think of it like, like, like Eli was the pastor uh, of the nation, the pastor of the people. He spoke uh, on behalf of God to the people. So he was kind of the, the head spiritual figure or person in, in the nation. And the other person in the story is a kid, a young kid named, named Samuel. And the reason that Samuel is in this story is because his mother, Hannah, uh, literally gave him to God. She was not able to, to have children, the story goes, and so she desperately prayed to God. She cried out to God and said, God, if you will give me a child, I will give him back to you, literally, not like dedicate him in the sense of I'm gonna go to church and they're gonna you know, pray for him and give us a Bible. No, this is a literal I will give him to you by giving him to the prophet and giving him to, to serve in the temple. And so sure enough, she got pregnant and she had a baby boy, Samuel. And so she kept him for a year and nursed him. And after the nursing was done, she followed through on her promise and her commitment to God. And she brought Samuel to Eli and left him there. She left him with the pastor. And just so you know, I'm not publicly endorsing this in any way. Please do not honor God by bringing your children and leaving them with me, okay? But that's what happened in this story is that, is that Samuel is now at the temple with Eli as a very young boy, and he's going to be raised in that environment. But God is up to something much bigger than just a boy being raised in a temple. And that's what we're going to... Uh, we're gonna read, and it starts in chapter three, 1 Samuel chapter three. You can read along in your Bible or follow along uh, on the app. If you've downloaded the sermon notes on there, you can do that. Chapter three, we're gonna start with verse one and then read uh, for 10 verses, one through 10, all right? And, and here's what it says. It says, meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. That's what I was just describing to you. And this is an interesting statement. It says, now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uh, uncommon. Maybe you feel that way in your life. Let's keep reading. One night, 
Eli, who was almost blind by now, the man was getting up there in age, he had gone to bed. And the lamp of God, this was a literal lamp that, that they used that would, that would be lit, it had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping, that's the boy, Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Okay, let's keep reading. And so suddenly, as Samuel's laying there, suddenly the Lord called out to Samuel. He called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am, Eli, did you call me? And so he said, I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed, and so he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said it again. Here I am, did you call me? I, I, he says, I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Now, here's a really interesting statement. It says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So this is Samuel's first time, Samuel's first experience, uh, experiencing God in this way, in this way at all. So let's, let's keep reading. It says, so the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and he went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? And then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls you again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. Just a few more verses. Let's, let's read this. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is, is listening. Such a great story with some really simple ideas for you and I as we are trying to figure out how to be more confident in hearing God and feeling the, the promptings of God in, in our life. So let me just give you a few quick takeaways from, from this story, uh, some, a few things we can take away because I wanna be as helpful as I can to apply this to our lives as we search to be more confident about uh, about hearing God's voice. Here's the first takeaway from the story, and that is that where you are affects what you hear. Simple idea. Where you are affects what you hear. God can speak to us anywhere, but some places just have better acoustics. Samuel is, is sleeping in the tabernacle. Remember that? So Samuel, every night, he, he's sleeping in the tabernacle, and we don't really have tabernacles anymore, but you can just think of it as, a, as Samuel every night is, is sleeping in, in the altar uh, of the church. There's a really powerful principle here that the more we put ourselves in the presence of God or in the company of people who are following Jesus, the more often we will feel him speaking and prompting us. We'll feel that. And that's one reason why, why time with God through reading the Bible and through, and through prayer is so important, coming to church, because usually what you're near determines what you hear. Usually what you're near determines what you hear. Now, of course, God can prompt you in a club. He, he can, he can uh, speak to you in a bar. He can speak to you or prompt you in your boyfriend or your girlfriend's bed. But the chances are, in those environments, you're probably not listening. So it's very important to, 
to remember that where you are affects what you hear. But let's look at a second takeaway from this story of Samuel and Eli. And number two is that a guiding voice helps us hear God's voice. A guiding voice helps us hear God's voice. And that's what happens in this story, is that that Samuel keeps going back to Eli, who was very experienced in hearing God's voice. And Samuel keeps going to him. And then finally, Eli realizes this is a teaching moment, a learning moment, and he helps Samuel figure out how to hear God's voice. I wonder, do you have someone in your life that you can talk to when you're not sure if you're hearing God or not? I wonder if you have somebody in your life that you can bounce things off of when you think maybe God is is speaking to you. Do you have someone in your life who really knows how to pray, someone who knows how to hear God's, God's voice? Guiding voices are those people who encourage and, and who teach us. They challenge us when it's appropriate. But most of the time, they help us be in the right places. As I look back on my life and, and all the different seasons that I have been in in my relationship with God, every time, if I had time to tell you the stories, I would tell you, but every time as God has put me in a new place, He's always used a guiding voice, a new voice in my life or an old voice saying some new things to help me be in the right place. The good news is Samuel had Eli and he was able to go to him and Eli was able to give him instructions. And so a guiding voice helps us hear God's voice, which is a good place for us to stop and just ask this question. Are you the most spiritual one in your group of friends? Because if you are, You may want to find a new group of friends. I'm not saying you have to abandon all your old friends, but I'm saying if you are the guiding voice, but you don't have a guiding voice, you may want to go find a new circle, a new group. If you're the person in your group who prays the most, it's at the church the most, who reads the Bible the most, who helps the most, who serves the most, then then you need to go find a group that, that is ahead of where you are so that they can help you and bring you along. And, and that's kind of what's happening in this story is that Samuel has that guiding voice. But let me give you one more takeaway, and this is probably my favorite takeaway from the story, is that God is willing, number three, God is willing to repeat himself. God is willing to repeat himself. I love this about God. I love that God is willing to wait on me to figure it out. Not because I'm dragging my feet, not because I don't wanna hear him, but because there's just all this uh, uncertainty. And when that's happening, God is not frustrated or mad with me. He is willing to, to repeat himself. God's voice lingers in my life. Almost every time I feel like God is speaking to me or God is speaking to me or prompting me or nudging me, I never get it right the first time. Like it takes me several times to realize, wait a second, this is probably God. So don't ignore those thoughts that keep lingering or conversations that keep happening in your mind. God is probably speaking again. And I don't know if you noticed it or not, but in the story there, so God spoke the first time, Samuel. The second time, Samuel. The third time, Samuel. The fourth time, he comes back a fourth time. And this time he says, Samuel, Samuel. God is willing to repeat himself. He's willing to wait on you to figure it out and to get a little bit of confidence and to make sure that that you're hearing him. So what I wanna do for for the time that we have have left is I wanna focus on those last few words. I've given you a few takeaways from the story that I think 
will help us, just some principles. But I wanna be as helpful as I can because I know that for all of us who are striving to hear God's voice, there is that uncertainty. And so I want to be as helpful as I can and I want to uh, try to, to give you some application. And we're gonna do that by focusing on those last few words of, of verse 10 that we read where Samuel says, speak, your servant is listening. Speak, your servant is, is listening. Now listen, I know it should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway. If we want to hear God, we need to listen for God. I know that's a no-brainer, but, but if we wanna hear God, we need to listen for God. And yes, there are times that God interrupts but, but often, most often, he speaks to us in, in a whisper or a subtle thought that is best heard in, in silence. And it's one thing for you and I to pray, speak, Lord. I mean, that's a great prayer, and I hope all of us are praying that, and I want you to begin to pray that if you're not, to be able to say, speak, Lord. That, that's a great prayer. It's one thing to say, speak, Lord. It's a whole nother thing to say, I'm listening, yeah, we all want God to speak, but can we truly say, God, when you speak, I will be listening? The challenge for us is that listening maybe, uh, this is maybe a narcissistic statement, but maybe it's never been harder in any generation to be a good listener. We live in an environment of constant distraction, constant noise. Now, I don't have to give you the stats. You're living it. You know how it is with notifications on your phone, tablets, TVs. Alexis, anybody got an Echo at the house? We got a couple for Christmas. I mean, she's like a part of the family now, Alexa is. The kids are just talking to her like she's part of the family. And so there's just all this noise, you know, and it's hard to, to, to focus. It's hard to, to listen to what's going on. How can we listen? How can we pick up on those, those little promptings when God is, is speaking to us? Well, the dictionary definition of listening is to make an effort to, to hear. I know that maybe sounds pretty obvious, but, but listening is to make an effort to hear. And anybody who's ever been married or been in a relationship knows that there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? Come on, don't, don't nudge your, your spouse right now, but there's a difference. That in order to listen, in order to really hear what God is saying, we have to make an effort to hear. So let me give you a few ways that, that we can be better listeners. Let me give you a few very practical ways that we can better listen for, for the voice of God. And like I said earlier, this is, this is more of an art than a science. And so I'm gonna try to describe these things in the best way that I can through experience from my life and ways that I've been taught as well. But just know that this is an art more than a science. And my goal is not to provide a formula for you per se, as just some, some helpful advice and application to help you be more consistent in being a better listener. And maybe you could become more confident and be more certain. So let me, let me give you those two. Let me give you five ways that you and I can be uh, a better listener when it comes to, to listening for God's voice. You probably know what number one is because I talk about it all the time. But number one, you gotta read the Bible. Read the Bible. You probably knew this was coming. Uh, because we talk about it all the time. We talk about it all the time because it is the foundation for everything in our relationship 
with Jesus. Everything we do starts and stops with the Bible. And the Bible is God's inspired word. This is not just a book. These are not just words on a page. It is the inspired word of God. So when we read this book, we are having a one-on-one conversation with God. That when we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. It's not just words, it's life. And I'm not gonna spend a lot more time on the topic of reading the Bible because we spent a whole week in this message uh, in this series, we spent a whole week on the Bible. And so if you haven't heard that or you're, you're intrigued about the idea about how we can read the Bible, not just as words, but kind of supernaturally, you can go back and, and check out that, that first week. But I want you to read the Bible because the more you read the Bible, the more you will hear God speaking to you beyond the pages. And it will be amazing how, uh, how many things you feel prompted to do and nudge to do when you come away from your time reading the Bible. So number one, practical ways that we can be better listeners for God's voice. Number one is read the Bible. Let me give you another one. Number two, uh, practical ways. Number two, silence, silence. There are very few places in our life that are truly silent. There's really very few places that are quiet, There's almost always a TV on, music playing, we have our headphones in, or notifications on our phone or or dinging. But it is spooky, hear me, it is spooky how quickly you will hear the voice of God when you get in a quiet place. It's crazy. I mean, just try it. You go find a quiet place for 15 minutes, you take a pen and a piece of paper and see if you don't feel like God starts speaking to you and prompting some areas in, in your heart. And while 100% silence is powerful, that's probably not a realistic goal for many of us. Uh, I got four kids in the house under 10. Come on, parents. And I mean, just (laughs) finding something quiet, finding a place quiet is really hard to do. But, But if we could just find a quiet place, it'll do the trick. And let me just tell you a couple ways that I do this. I'm just gonna speak from my experience uh, to just tell you some ways that I do this, some ways that I try to find some quiet time so that I can hear God's voice. And again, these are just for me, but maybe these will help you. Number one for me is running. I made a decision a while back that that when I run in my neighborhood, I don't listen to music and I don't listen to podcasts. And the origin of how that started for me is actually kind of a crazy story. But uh, 2016, I ran my first half marathon And I had my playlist ready to go and had my Bluetooth headphones. And no kidding, like six steps past the starting line as I started the race, my headphones went out. I don't know what happened. It was a technical difficulty or whatever. And so here I am, like not even 10 steps into this half marathon and I have no music. And I was like, oh, what am I gonna do? And I'm not normally this spiritual, I guess. I was actually pretty frustrated, but I just really felt led to spend that next time praying. And so I said to God, okay, God, um, I'm gonna pray for one person or one family in our church every mile. Every, every, one family gets a mile. And so I prayed that whole race until I got to like mile 11 and all of a sudden the headphones popped on. So hey, what do you know? But there was something really powerful about that. Probably one of the longest times that I've ever prayed. And so I decided, you know what? When I'm running in my neighborhood, I'm gonna have the headphones off, not listening to anything. And I'm just gonna pray and I'm just gonna listen. And it's amazing as I'm running how many times I feel like God gives me an idea or uh, something that I need to pray for as I'm praying, something else that I need to pray for. And it's one of my favorite times with God. So that's one way for me. Let me give you another one is drive time. Not all the time, not all the time, but sometimes I'll, 
I'll turn off the radio or the music in my car. I have a 20 minute drive to work and I'll turn off all the noise in the car and I will just try to be quiet and listen, sit in silence as I, as I drive in. And sometimes I'll notice things maybe I didn't notice before or feel, feel led or prompted to pray about something or get an idea or be inspired about something. And again, it's not lightning bolts. It's not, you know, that somehow this voice fills the car. It's just some moments and quiet places that God is prompting me and nudging me and speaking to me. Another one for me, here's another example, is waking up early. I've already told you I got four kids under the age of 10. And so for me, if I want any quiet time in my house, I gotta wake up before everybody else. And it's kind of nice because uh, Andrea, my wife, is a night, night owl. So she kind of handles things late. I kind of handle things early and it works out well that way. But I, I try to wake up, at least I set my alarm for 5.30. I'm not all the time consistent in that, but I try to get at my kitchen table by about 6.30 because I know Solomon's waking up at 7.30 at the latest. And so I sit there at the table with my Bible with a cup of coffee and it's just quiet in my house and it's a time for me to, to just connect with God. I know some of you guys have to get in the office earlier than that and different things. You gotta find what works for you, but for me, uh, that's one way uh, that I've done it. And you don't have to do it like me. If you're a, a night person, figure out something. Maybe it's after the kids go to bed, whatever it is, but, but find some quiet places and you'll be amazed at how God begins to speak to you. So read the Bible's one, silence is two. Let me, let me give you another one here, number three, and that is change your routine. Change your routine. Our brains are hardwired to just be on autopilot. There's so many things that we do in our day that we don't even think about, that, that just the routine we do in the morning or the, the way we drive to work or the way we walk through our office complex. Our brain just kind of goes in auto drive. So what could possibly happen if you changed up your routine? What, what could you see? What, what could you hear? What if you, what if you drove a different way to work? Here's a crazy idea. I know this is crazy. What if you changed seats in church? <laughs> That's crazy, right? We love our spots. I stand up every week. I know where everybody sits. And when somebody sits in our seat, we get frustrated about it. But what could possibly happen if you changed seats in church? Maybe the experience would be different. Something would happen. What if you went for a walk instead of watching a a show? What if you went to bed earlier so that you could wake up earlier? Here's a formula for you. Usually a new place plus a new pace. New place plus new pace equals a new perspective. So how could you change up your routine? And maybe what you would find is as you changed up that routine, God, who has always been speaking, his voice would maybe come through a little bit a little bit clear. Let me, let me give you another one. Not only change up our routine, but number four, uh, we want, uh, we need a journal. And I know every guy in the room's like, wah, 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 right? I've talked about this before. I'm not talking about a diary, okay? But I, man, I'm a, I'm a journaler. And what I love about journaling is that it gives me a history book about the way that God has been faithful in my life the way that God has spoke to me, the things that I'm praying for. I actually, one of the things I do, because I write down a lot of prayers in my, my journal, is I get a highlighter and I'll flip back through like several months or years, because I, I do one a year, and I'll just highlight answered prayers and I marvel at how many prayers I forgot God answered. And so I, I love that. I love that. Ways that God is speaking to me, ways that God was preparing me for things to come that I didn't even know 
was coming. And there's something about writing it down that you use a different side of your brain and you get done writing and you're like, wow, I think maybe God was just speaking possibly to me. You can do it however you want. Use your phone, buy, buy a journal, use a computer, but figure out a way to take some notes about what you feel like maybe God is saying to you and God is putting, is putting on your heart. Now, let me just add one more thing before I give you number five. Let me add, let me add one more thing. Whenever I talk about things like waking up earlier, I talk about things like journaling, I always get a little bit of pushback like, well, I could never do that. Based on when I gotta get in the office or I'm not a morning person or I don't journal, I get pushback. And I totally get that. And I'm a big champion of finding what works for you. But I would push back just in one way if I could. I would push back in this. Do you like, let me ask this question. Do you like your current level of connection with God? If you do, then by all means, keep doing what you're doing. But if you don't, could it be possible that the things that you define yourself by that you say you could never be because you're not a morning person or because you don't journal, could it be that if you were willing to change up a few of those things that maybe your connection to God would change a little bit? Maybe instead of being so stubborn to say I could never do that, what if you said I'll try that and see what happens? I talked to somebody recently in the church who's been following Jesus for a long time. And they said to me that as we've been doing these soap guides and soap studies together, that this was the first time in their life that they had ever read the Bible every morning and wrote something down that they got from it for five days in a row. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And that's how you feel God speaking to you. So find something that works for you. If what you're doing is not working, find something else, all right? So journal's number four. And then let me give you one more, just some ways we can be better listeners for God's voice. Number five, obey. Obey. This may seem like an odd thing to say when you're talking about being a better listener, but it's not because regardless of personality, no one is exempt from obedience. And I said earlier that promptings always drive us to action. And so we can want God to speak to us, but if we're not willing to obey what it is that he's prompting us to do, he probably will not be telling us new things, he'll probably keep telling us the same things, waiting on us to obey. But here's what's amazing, is as you begin to obey God and whatever he's put on your heart to do and whatever you feel like he's prompting you to do, it's amazing how much more confident and certain you are the second time you think God is prompting you if you obey the first time. And it's amazing how confident you are the fifth time if you have obeyed one, two, three, and four times. So obedience is actually a huge part of listening because the more you obey, the more confident you are. You see how God comes through and how God was speaking to you and how, and how God was using you. So let me, let me read you this verse of scripture. This is from 2 Thessalonians chapter one. It's in the New Testament, chapter one, verse 11. I think it's just a great verse for us, for, for where we are and what we're talking about today. Paul's writing, and he says, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call, and this, this is the part right here. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. I love that. And that's my prayer as your pastor. That's my prayer for you. The same thing Paul said is that may God give you the power to accomplish all the good things that your faith prompts you to do because as you follow Jesus, your faith is going to prompt you to do some things, to say something, to give something, to do something, to show up somewhere, to take somebody into your house, to feed somebody a meal. God's gonna prompt you and speak to you to do that. 
So when he does, my prayer is that you would have the courage, the confidence to do it. If you feel like you're supposed to say something, say it. If you're supposed to give something, give it. If you're supposed to do something, something do it. And so we wanna be able to pray, speak, Lord. That's one prayer. And then we wanna be able to say, I'm listening, I'm listening. But let me just end all of this by answering one more question because I think it's a question that has to be answered when you're talking about promptings. And that's the question I brought up at the very beginning. But Jason, what if I'm wrong? What if it's not God? What if I think God is prompting me to do something, but he's actually not, and I go do it, and it's not God? Like, what, what, what if, Jason, here's the question, what if it's not God? And I love that question because it gives me a chance to, to just kind of quickly tell you about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's really kind of a bizarre story, but it's in Luke chapter 22, and, and, and this is the night that Jesus, they've already had the Last Supper. Jesus is just seconds away from being arrested and he's gonna go be crucified. And the disciples are with Jesus in the garden. It's in Luke chapter 22, just a few verses there, starting at 49 in Luke chapter 22. But I, I wanna read this to you because I think it's so fitting to all of us who worry and are maybe uncertain and not confident about hearing God. And this is what it says in, uh, in Luke 22. It says, Lord, these are the disciples, should we fight? Because the, the soldiers have now come to arrest Jesus. They say, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And I just love this. Because you get the sense that the disciples have been waiting like three years for Jesus to give permission to use the swords, you know? So I just, I just read this like, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords, you know? And they're like, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them, and we know from other stories, other accounts, and the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we know that this was actually Peter. And it says one of them, Peter, grabbed his sword and he struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. So just get this now for a second. Peter grabs his sword, chops off the dude's ear, and the whole time he's doing what he believes God wants him to do. This is amazing. That Peter, in his, in his enthusiasm to, to do what he believes God would want him to do, takes off his sword and cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus says back to him, but Jesus said, Jesus doesn't say, what are you doing, you idiot? Jesus doesn't say, what are you doing, you moron? Peter, why do you always like to do that with your sword, man? Put it up. No, Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Now, let me tell you why I read you this scripture. Because this has actually become a, a, a kind of a life philosophy for me, a, a verse that I've used in my life just kind of as a principle when it comes to obeying God. And this may sound strange to you, but this is how it's always resonated with me. If there are those times in my life where I lash out or I enthusiastically obey and go doing what I think God wants me to do, but it's not what God wants me to do, and in the process of that, I, I do something wrong, or cut off a guy's ear, Jesus will put the ear back on. I know that sounds crazy, but that's, I've always loved this story because it's just a reminder to me that Jesus will clean up the messes that I make in my zealous obedience. Jesus will clean up the messes that I make when maybe I'm doing it wrong, but I'm just so eager to obey him. So I actually think you're probably overestimating the amount of times that it wouldn't be God. Most of the time, it's gonna be God. I don't have to worry about you thinking it's God too much. We're trying to get you to think it's God sometimes. 
But when, if there are those moments when you're like, man, I thought it was God and I went out and I did it, said it, gave it, whatever. If it's not God and you accidentally cut a guy's ear off, he'll put their ear back on and it'll be okay. Because he would rather you be trying to obey than to never obey, to never do what your faith prompts you to do because you're scared that you may be doing something wrong. So we wanna be able to say as people who follow Jesus, speak, Lord, speak. That's one prayer. But we also wanna be able to say, I'm listening. Let's pray.